Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Uh, when I was about, I'm thinking I was sixth grade, but I'm not sure. Uh, I had to do a science project. I was not big into science, um, did not like science fairs, thought those projects were really lame. But I had to do one, and so I made the board, and, and I chose my uh, subject matter, which was that really, it had something to do with plants, like just the lame, like, I'm not really going to try, so I just need to pick something as if I don't know what's going to happen if plants don't get water. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go through the whole thing. And it ended up getting the night before, and I hadn't really done anything. And so uh, I had to uh, manipulate the uh, outcome of the science experiment. And so uh, the way that I did that was bleach. And uh, I grabbed something. He's like, sixth grader, how did did you have access to bleach? Well, that's because my dad helped me. Um, So... My dad, who's a pastor, and he may be watching right now, I don't think he's ever confessed this, so today's the day um, that he's coming out of hiding, but he helped me uh, pour bleach on the plants, and really it was good. I know it was, but it was a bonding experience for us, and so uh, we killed the plants and uh, went in next day. I actually got a really good grade on it. I'm not, I'm not you know, saying that you should do that. I'm just saying that's what happened. Uh, then in um, college... I straight up um, told my parents that we were going to Panama City for spring break to scuba dive, because lots of college students go to Panama City to scuba dive during (laughs) spring break. And um, we never got the scuba dive equipment out during that weekend. We did not scuba dive at all, straight up lied, so I haven't confessed that either. So if my dad's watching, um, that's what happened spring break, um, sophomore year. And... um, And then when I was first getting married, like, where is he going with this? Uh, When I first got married, this will give you an idea of the the level of my nerddom. Like, I wanted to take a class, not because I needed to, because I wanted to. Um, And so we didn't have any money. I mean, no money. And my wife was a Christian school teacher. We were just starting a church. I wasn't getting paid. No money. And so I decided to sign up anyway and hide it from her and not tell her, because I knew how that would go. And I'll never forget, I'd just become a pastor. So congratulations. Um, I'm your pastor. Those of you consider me your pastor. Uh, we went and we met with a couple, and I did the very pastoral thing, and we were meeting them and getting them to know. And then we, we left that meeting, and all hell broke loose um, in our uh, marriage, because like, how could you not tell me this? We don't have this kind of money. And I just straight up hit it and lied about it, and it was terrible. And um, yeah, I repented. And so then normally what you do right now is um, pastors always tell stories about what happened seven years ago that Jesus brought you out of, but they never tell anything recent. So I'm not going to tell you about this week and what went down with my kids and uh, the fact that my kids found permanent markers last night and literally wrote themselves up from head to toe um, to the point of like, and I only felt this for like 30 seconds, but I I told Nicole, I don't want them anymore. I don't. (laughs) Like, have you ever had that for, like, people coming out of the nine are like, no, I felt that way before. I did. Just for that moment, I'm like, I'm done. I, I, don't, I don't want them for a little while. <laughs> so my point is this, and I do have one, is that we're talking about the unfiltered version of Jesus, and a lot of us have all kinds of filters about how we perceive Jesus, and um, we've gotten them from all different places, your background, something that was done to you, your past. But I think there's a question that is uh, related to that that I want to try to link. And the question is, what is the unfiltered version of Jesus? But I want to ask another question. What is the unfiltered version of you? And one of the things I think is true, and just in culture in general, so this is not you know, relegated to us solely, but like I, th- I think we do a lot of hiding. I think we're in a culture where it's, it's easier to image cast than ever before, and um, you, however you do that, you can do it on social media. Um, you got maybe 
just solid Instagram game, or even we do it in conversations where you walk away, you're beating yourself up over, I'm so stupid, why did I say that? And you know, you're constantly measuring your words at some level, holding part of yourself back, but, but we do a lot of hiding, I think. And, and it's everybody, but I think sometimes it can be worse in the church. And not because we're not relatable, but a lot of people feel like we're not relatable, but we, we are, or we can be. Some of you are not relatable, but some, a lot of us are relatable, and it's not that we're not, and it's not that we don't struggle, but we lie about it. And it's even worse for me. Like it, it, There's some level of being a pastor that's a curse because people just lie to you all the time. Like, hey, how are, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And they always, they drop blessed a hundred times and I'm just believing and having faith in Jesus. And I just want to go, your house just burnt down. I like, can you just, are you sure you're being a hundred percent with me? Because my BS meter is flying out of control right now. I believe you have faith in Jesus. I believe that you are blessed, but can there just be a little bit of like, my house just burnt down. It's not a good week. You know, one of my favorite all-time experiences, I love this. Um, I love that I feel like we have a lot of this, but I had a, a, a friend who was brand new of kind of following Jesus and he joined our community group one time and he didn't know any of the game. And what I mean about not knowing any of the game, he just didn't know what a lot of times religious or church people do where they just, there's kind of a decorum that you, it's unspoken, but you just learn how to do it. And so he came into our community group for the first time and about a third of the way to, he's like, third of the way through, we've got, you know, I don't know how many, 10 or 11 people in there. And he's like, ah, I just, I struggle with porn. All right, so we're going there. Like, you know how normally it's like, well, I thought this was going to be a surface level. We're going to eat some snacks and go tonight. But here's, here's how deep we're going. He's got a porn problem. He wants to tell us all about it. And um, he, in his mind, he was just like, well, what, what else are you here for? <laughs> and I love it. Like, I, I don't think it was that same night, but he prayed eventually. And again, he just has no idea. He doesn't know any of the lingo or the words. And, and he, he began to pray when I wanted to end out the community group. And I, I heard words in the middle of the prayer that I've never heard in a prayer before, like ever. And he gets to the end and there's this awkward pause. And he's just like, the end. <laughs> and that was the end of the prayer. And I absolutely loved it. Cause I'm like, normally I fall asleep during a lot of these community group prayers. Cause I've heard them 5,000 times. It's just a different order of the same words. And I don't even know if you know what you're saying, or I know what I'm saying. So it's just incredible. And so all that to say, we say this a lot. I just want to reiterate this. This should be the safest place in the world for anybody, anybody, anybody who's struggling with anything. And I think, and thank you for the one amen, because I feel like that should have gotten a lot more. So why don't you put your hands together if you believe that that is true. And I think as you begin to like really discover the unfiltered version of Jesus, I think at some level there's a link where you begin to live an unfiltered life. And the reason that we don't is because one of the big filters that we have is we'd love to mix a little bit of Jesus with a little bit of religion. And it's really hard to let go of. I, I'm there, I, I have to battle it. A lot of you have to battle it. And here's basically what religion says. This is my a kind of example. But as long as I obey the rules, Jesus accepts me. And when I don't obey the rules, Jesus distances himself from me. In, in church world, we, we like to use the term loss of fellowship which is a complete misnomer, but we love to talk about it. And it's, you know, it might be your spiritual disciplines, it might be some moral behavior, all of those things, you know, not bad in and of themselves, obviously, but it becomes like your basis for acceptance. And then you judge how you're doing with God or with Jesus on the basis of that. And, and you also end up judging other people on the basis of that. That's always where it leads. And you might theologically go, no, well, I don't think that's true. But for a lot of us, that's how we function. Like you're in a place right now where maybe there's some stuff that, that you don't like about you, some stuff you're struggling with. And what do you do when that happens? For a lot of you, that's the moments where I, I can't, I don't feel like I can pray right now. I'm not gonna go to church. I'm gonna distance myself from other people. And so practically, this is kind of where you're at. And we love to talk about grace, which is Jesus' undeserved favor and Jesus' love. And, and if you don't believe that, I'm hoping that through this series, you'll be led to that place. But we believe it intellectually or theologically, but but practically, we, we don't 
Like we don't live that out a lot of times. And so maybe that's why you left. You left church, you left you know, a community group, you left faith in God or Jesus because of some kind of outflow of this. And so maybe it was a, a divorce that your dad was going through and you felt pushed out because of it. Maybe because it was a, a gay brother. Maybe it was a, a habit that you felt like you had to hide and once you didn't hide it any longer, you just, you, you just had trouble getting past that. And not only did you felt distance from God, you, you felt distance from other people, you felt distance from the church. And, and so you, you, you at some level like the idea of Jesus, but it's, it's tough to get past that. And then the other part of this, and this is kind of ironic, is some of you, as I describe that, there's an emotion associated with that. It almost makes you angry. And yet the ironic thing is you are very religious. And here's what I mean. For some of you, you you would despise it, but you're carrying shame and you're carrying guilt and you're constantly carrying self-condemnation that you won't lay down. And at some level behind that, you're trying to get yourself acceptable enough to come back or you're, you're trying to kind of create a better version of you. And it's just another form of religion because here's the thing about um, religion as I'm describing it is it always leads you to hide. You end up hiding behind the rules and like, okay, I'm good because of this. And a lot of times they end up being really arbitrary and, you know, it's different based on denomination or um, the generation that you live in or the area of the country or the area of the world. They always change. And you're hiding behind that in terms of, of being acceptable or you've broken the rules. So you're distancing yourself and hiding because of that. But either way, you're in hiding. You're in, you're in hiding trying to earn acceptance or you're hiding maybe because at some level or some days you don't feel acceptable, but you're hiding. And here's the thing that's behind all of that. This is one word, fear. Fear of how am I doing? Fear of if I let go of the rules, I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go off the rails. Fear of I don't know where I'm at with God. Fear of exposing what's really going on in your heart, even though outwardly like you are, I mean, you're superb in terms of your moral behavior and attendance or fear of, I don't know if God's gonna accept me. I don't know if, if other people are gonna accept me. I don't know if, if I can expose this, but there's just a whole lot of fear that starts to lead to control, control God, control me, control my behavior, control whether I feel acceptable or not, but it's just a whole lot of fear. And, and so here's what I came to tell you today, and I hope you'll get it, but I can't get you to get it. It's got to be the spirit of God, but you don't have to hide. Hey, here's the thing. We think about Jesus a lot of times. Jesus is just coming to die, right? That's the central like, part of the narrative. But you need to know that Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to kill some stuff. That over and over again, Jesus shows up to go, hey, listen, the fear that's driving this, I came to kill fear. Fear not. I came to let you know that my perfect love, when you understand it, I know some of you, you want to filter out his love too and make it a little less scandalous, but when you really understand my love, it's unfiltered, it's, un, it's, it's undeserved and unmerited. That perfect love drives out fear. And by the way, Jesus came to say, it is for freedom that I have come to set you free. I've come to give you life to the full. And sometimes I wonder, does anything about our journey journey, illustrate or picture that? I feel a lot of us. And if you ever, like, if you ever embrace Jesus, this is maybe some of your pushback, but a lot of us, I feel like our journey with Jesus looks like a sobriety test. We're so afraid. What are you doing? Just trying to follow Jesus. Is that, did you watch a rated R movie? Did you just cuss? And why do you look so mad? I'm following Jesus. I'm just focused. Like, what? Does any of that, does it, yeah, you can clap. You're allowed. You can clap. Does any of that communicate freedom? In fact, a lot of times it's, and we don't want to admit this, but it's, it's fear-mongering. We're always afraid. We're always afraid of what's going to happen. We're always afraid of what somebody's going to do and how they're going to abuse it. We're always afraid of going off the rails. And you got a, a bunch of people, it's just honestly, that I would look at to go, what is wrong with you? If that's the Jesus that you're following. So I just want to declare to you today that, that Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to kill some stuff. And until that kind of thinking dies in our life and in our churches and in our spheres of influence, Jesus' power and Jesus' grace is never going to be able to live. 
And so what I know about this room, and, and you, you may seem anything but religious, but you're very religious. Or we look at you to go, no, you're, you're kind of the religious guy. On either end of the spectrum, there's a lot of things in this room, online, people watching. And it needs to die today. And so this is the thing that was most disruptive about Jesus. We don't think of Jesus this way, but this, this effort to end this thinking and kill this kind of religious system is what made a lot of people angry, but it's also what made Jesus very angry. In one incident where Jesus just lays down the gauntlet, like this is the moment of I'm going to foreshadow what's going to happen and it's not going to be pretty, but I'm going to let these people know that the religious system that they've been hanging on to, it's going to die. I'm going to kill it. I'm bringing something new and the something new is me. And it says that in this interaction, this is toward the end of the interaction, that he's with these religious leaders and here was Jesus' emotion toward them, that Jesus looked around at them in anger and he was deeply distressed they're stubborn. What's the word, church? What's the word? Hearts. Hearts. Because up into this point, they could, they could hide behind their rules and they could look pretty good and other people would, would pat them on the back. But Jesus shows up and the one thing that they cannot hide any longer is their hearts. And they're embracing a system where control had replaced compassion and where sacrifices, oh, I'm here again, I have another sacrifice, I'm doing great. Sacrifices had replaced sincerity, and where fear had replaced faith. And so Jesus shows up to confront and to blow it up, and he knows their heart. He's answering questions before they ask him. I'll answer that. I didn't ask it. No, 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 but I, I know your heart. I'll just go ahead and answer it. And it was so uncomfortable. Like one day Jesus was with a, a group of guys, and he lays down this teaching. I mean, how crazy was this? Hey, guys, I, just, I know that um, you didn't grow up with this, but you just need to know um, when you lust, that's the same as adultery. Huh? No, no, yeah. When you, when you, I know that you pat yourself on the back because you, you, know, you didn't sleep with her and I can't believe all these sinners and tax collectors over here, but I, I see it differently because I see sin differently and, and I see the root differently and I don't create the categories that you create. So lust is the same as adultery. Oh, oh by the way, anger, it's the same as murder. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. When you get unjustifiably angry, ah, you, it's like you killed them. I, it's the same way. Am I? And then Jesus ends this particular talk that I'm talking about, and he says this. So here's the conclusion of my talk. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you know what we do with this verse a lot of times? We're like, all right, I'm going to try. I'm going to be as perfect as I can. I'm going to get better. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. I need to work. I need to get another filter on my computer. It's not working. So I'm going to I'm going to do everything that I can to just, I'm not going to be perfect, but Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus' whole point was, you can't. I'm not telling you to be perfect because you can't. I'm telling you all those things to to let you know that your external is no different than the internal. And I care about the whole thing and religion and the rules. They're never going to justify you. They're never going to make you acceptable. You're never going to be okay as a result. This is just to let you know, game over. You can't do it. You need a savior and your savior is here and his name is Jesus. Paul says it this way. Paul, who interviewed the guys that were with Jesus, he said that Jesus put all the wrong of humanity on him, and even though he never did anything wrong, so that we could be put right with God. That's what we call the gospel. It's the good news that at your worst, this, this is what makes you acceptable before God. At your best, when you are loving how obedient you've been over the last two weeks, this is your only acceptance before God, that on the cross, after living a perfect life, he took all that you did wrong on his body, past, present, future, all humanity. When he got off the cross. He walked out of a grave alive. And when you place your faith and your trust in him, you get all the benefits of what he did right. And he takes all that you did wrong. And so right now, today, you're still hung over. The only thing that makes you right before God is what God did right on your behalf. That's it. That's it. And so Jesus begins to expose that with these guys that are standing there and they can't They can't hide their hearts any longer. And so he begins to confront this whole system and predict the death 
of religion. And it goes down on the Sabbath because they held very tightly to, to the Sabbath. And so in Mark chapter 3, verse 23, he says, one Sabbath, Mark's writing this, Jesus beginning the confrontation. Jesus is going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. And really the law was about harvesting. They weren't harvesting. They were getting a snack, but they, they started to get all up in arms. And they picked some heads of grain. This is Jesus' disciples. In verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And here, okay, so this is a crazy thing. They had created 39 categories of rules just for the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Like here's one of the things that happens with, with a system that starts to, again, whether it's spoken or not, kind of be your sense of, of security that causes you to hide either way or your, your sense of acceptance before God is you end up looking at all of the wrong things and you end up asking all of the wrong questions. And you end up with some really dumb rules. Can we just say that? Like, uh, this will preach right here, so let me just, let me land on this for a second. Like, when I grew up, I, I, this wasn't my family, so I, but we were in these circles. Like, they came up with the dumbest stuff. Like, we couldn't watch the Smurfs. <laughs> because Gargamel was into witchcraft. And then when Harry Potter came along, forget about it. If you have read Harry Potter or watched the movies, you are probably in Wicca right now. <laughs> and my wife has read all the books, but I'm not home during the day, so I don't know what she's dabbling in. <laughs> but it, it became so stupid. And then another one, I know some of you have no context for this, but I'm just going to tell you, this is a real thing, that you couldn't dance. Dancing was off the limits unless you were a toddler because it was natural and it's cute. But by the time you're 12, that is the quickest way to sexual promiscuity and to develop a drinking problem. Just let somebody dance. <laughs> and then if you start to pick out verses, speaking of alcohol, about wine in the scripture, stop it. Because we all know that that was some watered down crap that was not real alcohol and it was just used for medicinal purposes. <laughs> Except that it showed up at a wedding that Jesus was at. So why they were serving the equivalent of Tylenol PM at a wedding we don't know, but it's, my point is just this. It just gets stupid. It just gets so silly. And, and literally like we'll, I mean, we'll put up a fight about the dumbest things and we're looking at all the wrong things and we're asking all the wrong questions. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we, we start looking at what we didn't do with no thought of who we didn't love. Or we start looking at what we did do, I'm amazing, with no thought of why we did it. And we start to look at, because it always leads here of what other people did or didn't do. And, and I'm just telling you, this is what Jesus in, in a very strategic way is coming to confront on the Sabbath. It's not an accident. Hey guys, you are holding on to the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong stuff because there are some things that, that a religious system and your rules are never gonna be able to do. Like, listen, rules n never have any power. Like rules, they can, they can keep somebody from doing what they wanna do, but they can't change what you wanna do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll never forget, when I was a teenager, probably 13, my grandparents moved. We were going to their house for the first time. We showed up, we'd never seen it before, their Appalachian Mountains. So where their house was, it went into this like valley, and then there was this huge hill, super steep, like, you're never going to see that in Florida. Like, it was legit. And as we're getting out of the car, I'll never forget my dad saying, like, first thing, I don't know why this is the first thing in his mind, but he's like, hey, do not ride your bike down that hill. And what did I do immediately? That is an amazing idea, to ride my bike <laughs> down that hill, and I'd never even contemplated that until you said it. And I did. I rode my bike down that hill, literally bent it in half, almost killed myself. But listen, rules can literally incite rebellion sometimes. 
And they don't change anything at the heart level. And you got a bunch of Christians going, I want to do this, but I'm not because I'm following Jesus. No, that's not what Jesus came to bring. He came to transform your desires, to transform what you want, to lead you in a better way that is not based on willpower or discipline or white knuckling. It's based on something has happened in your heart that changes what you do. Rules are never going to be able to do that for you. Rules don't lead to love. You, you're always focused on a something, but, but not a someone. Sometimes they, they actually lead you to distance yourself from people. We just gotta be separate. We gotta be holy. We believe in Jesus' grace, and hopefully Jesus will reach them. It rules. Rules never lead to freedom. I, I think it leads you to focus on the bottom rung of, you know, am I all right? Am I all right? And, and you just live for less. You just live for less because you never lift your head up to go, hey, this is, some of this is even stupid. Some of this is good, but why are you so focused on it? And Jesus is going, I have a divine destiny for your life. I have some things that I want to use you to change. There's some people that I want to use you to love. And, and, and religion and a system of rules is never going to lead you there. You're constantly going to be focused here, constantly afraid. And I think in a lot of cases, you're going to miss all that God wants to do in your life. Rules always lower the standard. And rules, they never, they never get you to focus on the right thing. You're focused on you. How am I doing? How am I doing? How are they doing? Are we good? Am I good? Am I all right? Is that a sin? Is that okay? Do you think that's allowed? But your focus is never on Jesus. And so there these religious guys are. This is so crazy to me. And they're like squinting. Did they just pick grain? I think I just saw John pick grain in the grain field. We need to go check that out. And Jesus is like, are you serious right now? And he starts to, you can read it on your own. Maybe it will be up here. But Jesus starts to tell a story. He's like, do you not remember the time that David was, he was fleeing from Saul because he was afraid for his life and his men were hungry and they were on the run and they went into the temple and there were um, loaves of bread there. They would have 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. They were consecrated. It was part of the religious system, but only the high priest could eat this bread. And David and his guys come rolling in, and the priest is like, no, you guys are hungry. You guys are on the run. You're afraid for your life. Go ahead and, and eat the bread, even though you're not supposed to. And, and it's really interesting because Jesus is highlighting the fact that sometimes, sometimes the need overrides the regulation. Like sometimes I think we are so focused on our, uh, again, our arbitrary rules. And even in this, that even wasn't really the rule, but they interpreted it as the rule. But we have these arbitrary rules where we're in relationship with people and we're so concerned about the regulation. Hey, you need to tell them the truth. You need to confront that. You need to make sure that you expose that. And you're in a relationship with somebody and you're following Jesus. You're looking at Jesus, recognizing, no, this guy has a, a story, this guy has a name. This guy has a background. And what I realize right now, because I'm not throwing a policy or a set of rules on people, that he doesn't need more self-condemnation. He's already under the weight of that. He doesn't need to hear about how bad things have been. And you always have religious people, well, you need to tell them the truth. Are you afraid of the truth? Why don't you answer that question? No, no, no. I, I'm all about the truth. But the truth that I know that they need right now is to know in the midst of your self-condemnation, you're loved by Jesus. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Jesus has moved in your direction in order to change your life and change your heart. And he is not distancing himself from you and you don't need to distance yourself from him. And right now there's questions I'm not gonna answer. There's things I'm not gonna confront because the need of this man overrides the regulations because I'm following Jesus. And Jesus is all about the person. And so Jesus is like, oh guys, and you've created this Sabbath thing where, where man wasn't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. Like it was actually originally a gift that I was giving to you to go, hey, function this way. Things are going to be better in your life. And now you've taken the gift and you've made it a God. Because now you're taking this and you're freaking 39 categories of rules as some kind of effort to gain my acceptance. And you can't get acceptance out of any of these rules. You can only get it from Jesus. And so now you've taken a gift that is weighing you down under the obligation and the gift has become a God. It's the same thing we do with relationships, where all of a sudden you become my source of worth and you become my source of identity and I, I crush you under the weight of what no person can give me and this gift of relationship that God has given us becomes a God. 
We do the same thing with sex. We do the same thing with, with good wine. We take what was good and a good gift and we, we pervert it and make it something that it's not. And Jesus very strategically is going, um, this is not by accident that we're here and you're here and that it's Sabbath and that you just caught us picking the heads of grain. It's about to get worse in a second because I've come to make a point. And the point that he came to make was that the son of man, that's me, that's Jesus. He's Lord even over the Sabbath. If you're a parent, you ever make rules and then override your own rules? Like a few days ago, it's like I come storming into the room, like get in bed right now, go to bed, stop talking or some version of that. And you're like, oh, you, you told us to clean up the rule or clean up the room. I'm like a new rule. Like, I know that I gave you that rule of clean up the room. I'm overriding that rule with another rule that says get your butt in bed. And I am the maker of the rules, so I can contradict myself. Get in bed. New rule (laughs) that supersedes all the other rules. And in this, Jesus is going, no, no, this had a purpose for a season. God actually birthed the religious Old Testament system. And it was a a thing that would kind of be the, the catalyst for what now has arrived on the scene. But I'm just telling you, and this is disruptive because Jesus was so disruptive. It's about to die. It's about to end. I'm about to kill it. In fact, Matthew records this. It's so interesting. Matthew, this is the same interaction, but Mark doesn't give us this. Matthew says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think, this is Jesus talking, that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. You're like, well, see, there, there you go. Hang on. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And generally, this is where we try to somehow reconcile it and, and you know, sand off the rough edges and go, well, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, you, we're not under law, but Jesus came to fulfill it. He didn't come to abolish it. And so there's like this tension that we manage. I don't know if we ever finished the verse. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law. See, see, Jesus came to, you know, he came to fulfill it. But I mean, we're still kind of, there's things that we need to do. You know, there's law that, you know, we need to abide up under. And then this is the most overlooked preposition maybe in the scripture. That none of this is gonna disappear until, what's the word? Until, one more time. Until everything is accomplished. Do you know what the everything that needs to be accomplished was? Jesus on the cross. And in that moment, he is canceling debt and he is taking sin on his body and he is being the final sacrifice for sin so that you can put away your bulls and goats and no longer will acceptance be found in a temple or under a religious system or on the basis of rules. That was simply to communicate to the world, you can't be perfect, you can't earn acceptance. It can never take away your shame and your guilt. You can never do enough to be okay. You need a savior and Jesus is going, that savior is here, it is finished. The rules, the system, the religious things that you're hiding behind are gone and acceptance and worth and favor and I'm okay and I finished the race and I'm gonna stand before Jesus accepted and whole is on the basis of Jesus. I accomplished it. It's finished. And then one other thing that Jesus did that was so disruptive to make his point was Mark records it later that his disciples are coming out of the temple and Jesus is like, let me just, one more right hook, is that not only is this system going to die, I'm going to do something physically to prove to you that it's dead. Because in ancient Judaism, you could not practice ancient Judaism, the Old Testament law without a physical temple in Jerusalem. It's all tied to that. And so if there's no temple, there's no ancient Judaism. And so his guys are coming out of the temple one day and they're like, man, this is magnificent, 150 foot high structure. It took decades to build. It was the wonder of the world. It was absolutely amazing they could build that back then. And they're walking out and Jesus is like, no, 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 it is amazing. I'm gonna destroy this thing. But one day this is gonna, not just just figuratively religion's gonna come down, like I'm physically, just so you get it, I'm gonna destroy this temple. Like, what, what what are you talking about? So Jesus decides that he's going to give a final blow. And in Mark 3, 1, Jesus went straight from the whole picking the grain, you know, incident into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
And Jesus had healed on the Sabbath before, but he had always done it outside the temple. And so all the religious guys in the temple are thinking, okay, we know he's done that before, but there is no way he's coming in here to do that. There's no way. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in their temple. And so Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, and just, just real quick, this is what, I don't know how many days this guy had been in the temple. And they're not even thinking about him. He's just a pawn in order to trap Jesus. And there a man is suffering in their presence. And who knows how many days he's been coming into the temple. And they don't even pay attention to him. And so Jesus looks at the religious guys and looks at the man sitting down there and he knows he's got a, a disease, a shriveled hand. And he looks at the Pharisees, the religious guys, and he looks at the man. And probably still staring at the Pharisees, he's like, stand up, stand, stand up. And it was so interesting because that's the last thing that guy wanted to do because in their thinking, if, if some physical ailment was present, then it means that you had sinned or your parents had sinned and, and God was getting you back. And so this guy is hiding in the temple because acceptance was based on whether I'm keeping the rules and whether I'm part of the religious system. And so in that moment, the last thing he wants to do, stand up. And I just wonder, I just wonder how many of us in this room or podcasting or watching somewhere that we are hiding for the exact same reasons. You're hiding behind rules and disciplines and, hey, just heads up, you can do all of those things and still have your heart be far from God. You're just type A, so it's easy for you. You're hiding behind guilt and shame. You're hiding a marriage dysfunction or maybe you're just hiding behind what you think you need to be. And this guy is hiding and he's going, I, I can't come out. I can't stand up. I can't expose myself. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I want you to stand up. Because here's what Jesus knows, is that there are some secrets that grow in the dark. This is the danger of religion. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Off the rails. How did that happen overnight? It didn't. But nobody pays attention to the heart. Jesus knows that there's some whispers of the enemy and they grow in the dark. Hey, you're not enough. You're not acceptable. Do you know what you've done? You can never come back. It's it's the enemy that knows that addiction and habits grow in the dark, that your, your lack of self-worth, it, it becomes overwhelming in the dark, that, that the gap grows between the you that you really are and the manufactured you in the dark. And so in this moment, something so much bigger is happening where Jesus is going, you don't have to hide anymore. Because sometimes grace can only be experienced in the light where you set down every mechanism that you are using to tell you you're not okay or to tell you that you are okay and you finally let it go. And what you realize in this moment, the only thing I have is Jesus, but the only thing that I need is Jesus. And it's in that moment that you understand grace. It's in that moment when you come out from behind where you understand forgiveness. It's that moment where you realize it is only Jesus. But as long as you are somehow hiding and trying to earn or distancing because you think you're not accepted, you are declaring and screaming that you don't need Jesus. You don't need Jesus' power. And so Jesus says to the man, stand up, because as long as you're sitting there, as long as you're hiding, I can't heal that hand. I cannot do anything to that shriveled hand. I cannot show off my power. And the longer you keep it hidden, the longer the insecurity's there, the longer the fear is there. More and more, you, you don't experience freedom. You are in a prison. You, you don't ever experience my power. And so stand up because I want to heal that hand, but I cannot heal the you that you are pretending to be. And I cannot heal the you that is hiding. I mean, and the only thing this guy had to do, just think about this. All he had to do was stand up. Some of us are in a, a relationship disaster right now. And there's just, there's one thing we need to do, one thing we need to admit and we won't do it and we just stay hiding. Some of us are so dry inside 
You're not off the rails morally, but you're in here today and there is nothing going on. There is nothing going on inside of you. Some of you are are in the midst of a habit that you can't overcome and you would rather stay shriveled than come out of hiding. And so Jesus says to this man, as he's looking at the Pharisees on the Sabbath in the temple, because he just wants everybody to know, I have come to override these rules. I have come to fulfill them. I've come to cancel them out. I've come to give you a better way. I've come to declare to humanity, you don't have to hide any longer. On your best day and on your worst day, it's only Jesus. But you cannot experience my grace and my power as long as you are hiding. It's only when you come out, when you stand up, when you rest in what Jesus has done for you, that I can show off my grace and I can show off my power. And so, hey, young man, old man, we don't know how old you are. Stand up. Just stand up. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, so guys, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill a life? Because Jesus knows that they have 39 categories, but they've made them to fit their lifestyle. So if they had a, an animal that fell into trouble on the Sabbath, they'd go, they'd go save him because religion always has loopholes. But they remained silent. And the man is just standing there. And he's hiding his hand because his hand denotes that, that something's wrong between him and God. And in anger, after looking around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Because Jesus gets angry when your rules to obey God get in the way of loving the people that God loves. And Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And his hand was completely restored. He had to acknowledge the disease, which was really even more than a disease, it was also a thinking, in order to be healed. And just think about this, that 2,000 years later, we don't know his name, but man, he's a central figure in the narrative of Jesus. Like, I, I wonder... I wonder where the opposition is the greatest or the hurt is the greatest or the area where you are most prone to hide. I wonder if that could be the stage of God showing off his power in a way that is unparalleled with anything that you've done in your life if you would just stand up and if you would just stop hiding. And so the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And you you know this, right? Eventually, they were successful. But they had no idea that in that moment that they were killing Jesus, that Jesus was putting to death simultaneously their religion. Because on the cross, that was the moment where he's going, the debt really is canceled. It is finished across all of humanity. I am taking your sin so that you can go free and so that you can have peace and that you can have reconciliation. And no amount of your lame sacrifices are ever going to get you into my good graces. It is all Jesus. And so the Romans would look around at the Christians after Jesus and they would go, are you guys atheists? Because they would ask, where's your temple? Well, we don't have one. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We're portable temples to change the world. Well, where's your priest? We don't have a priest. We just have Jesus. We have direct access in a relationship. There's no go-between any longer. Oh, well, where are your sacrifices? We don't need a sacrifice. We don't go to a temple any longer because Jesus was this final sacrifice for all sin. We are good because Jesus was good. The Old Testament let everybody know for generations that you need a Savior, but that Savior is here. His name is Jesus, and Jesus promised that one greater than Moses is here. One greater than the temple is here. One greater than the sacrifices is here. And so on that cross, you thought you were winning and you were putting Jesus to death and you were only for Jesus to be brought back to life so that he could give you life and your religion is dying forever and it's just going to be Jesus. And you know what's interesting is Jesus predicted that not only would the system collapse, that the temple would collapse. And in 70 AD, Vespasian sent his son Titus and he led the final resurgence into Jerusalem. Thousands were killed and they began to set fire to the ancient temple in Jerusalem. 
And without that temple, there was no ancient Judaism. And it burned for about a month and the gold gilding began to seep between the cracks of the stones so that sometime later, they would get up onto those walls and they would begin to take off the stones so they could scratch off the gold. And they literally took one stone on, off of another and they threw it down into the valley till they got all the way to the bottom and only the foundation was left and not one stone was left on another just as Jesus predicted. And it's really interesting because if you read the gospels, nobody mentions that. Like, Matthew, why didn't, that, why didn't you mention that? Jesus said, I'm gonna destroy this, and then he did it. What unbelievable evidence that he's legit, he's the Messiah. Not one Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, not one gospel writer, it's nowhere to be found in the New Testament that this actually happened. Why? And there's only one explanation, because it happened in 70 AD within 30 years of Jesus' life, meaning that the New Testament is 30 or so years old. It was not written generations later. And those of you who walked away because of Exodus to Malachi, and I don't understand that, and it's so crazy. I just want to invite you back because Jesus said about all of that, it's inspired, it had its day, it points to Jesus and what Jesus is doing in our generation, but it is dead, and Jesus is alive, and the only thing that you need to look at and the only person you need to know is Jesus. And I know some of you are like, ah, but that's so nerve wracking. Like, well, I need some rules. Well, what about, what about the rules? And, and Jesus answered that. Well, what about the commands? Jesus said this, uh, well, just teach them to obey everything I. No more system, no more set of principles. I, it's a person. His name is Jesus. Teach them to obey everything that I, me, Jesus, has commanded them. And do you know what Jesus commanded? Love God, love people. If you're unsure what to do, love them. If you're unsure how you should look at that, look at Jesus. If you wonder what should take precedence in that moment, how did Jesus love me and how is Jesus loving me? It is the means and it is the motivation for everything. And I'm telling you, when you really understand his love, it's not gonna lead you off the rails. It's gonna lead you to a higher calling, a higher destiny. You're gonna love, you're gonna change the world in the way that the rules are never gonna motivate you to change the world. And so he says to us, listen, everything I wanna do through you, the only person who can take you beyond where you are and make you more than who you are is Jesus. So if you want some rules, this is the rules. This is what you leave with today. Jesus, I wanna get to know even more how you love me and then I wanna go love other people the way that you are loving me in this moment. And I don't need to be afraid any longer. And dang it, a lot of us need freed up. And so today as, as we conclude, religion is dead. And for a lot of you, you need to kill it in your life. So you're hiding behind addictions and habits and behaviors. And I just wanna to say to you, stand up, stretch out your shriveled hand. You don't need to hide it because grace is here. You're in a place right now where you're, you're, you're trying to overcome something and you're using the weapons of do better, try harder, and it's just not working. And you need real healing. And that healing can only come from Jesus. Stand up. Stretch out your hand, begin to look at the only source of healing and that is Jesus or some of you. You've moved into this, this system you're hiding behind where you feel guiltier about missing church than you do about ignoring a brother or sister who's in deep pain and they need you to love them. And I just want to declare to you, you can stand up. You can stretch out your shriveled hand. You don't need to hide what is in here any longer because grace is here. Or you're in a place where you miss reading your Bible and you feel guiltier about that than how you've treated your husband, or your wife, or your neighbor. And for some of you, you've fallen more in love with the Bible than you have with Jesus. And you need to stand up and stretch out your hand because grace is here. And James says, if you would just confess, which just meant if you, would, if you would stop hiding, Jesus will heal you. And so wherever you're at 
in the house today and you know that there's been some things that you're still clinging to and hiding behind for your acceptance and they need to die. And there's some things that is causing you to distance yourself from others and from God because somehow you've gotten this idea that you can create a future version of yourself that's gonna make you okay and that thinking needs to die. And so wherever you're at in the house today, and yes, I'm gonna ask you with no heads bowed and no eyes closed, you just need to come out from behind some stuff and you need to get your focus back on Jesus. I just want you to stand up and I want you to stretch out your hand to go, that is me, I need healing, I need to stop hiding. I need to shift my focus. I need to shift the questions that I'm asking. And so right now, if that's you, stand to your feet. I'm going to give you a second because for some of you, that, that thing where that hiding comes from is what's causing you to hide even right now in this moment. And so this may be the catalyst to stop hiding in some other areas if you would just stand to your feet. Jesus, I just pray that right now in this moment, I've left some space and some room here for for you to apply this. And so, so do what you do. And Lord, just help us to know right now what what needs to die. Some of us are so focused on addictions and behaviors and things in culture we need to overcome and sexual orientation. And we have this battle cry of sin needs to die. We need to kill it. The reality is religion needs to die. That allows sin to live hidden below the surface because we forget for some of us the fact that we need healing. And sometimes we lose sight of where that healing comes from. So God, just move in our individual hearts right now that God, we would recognize that the religious thinking maybe that we are allowing to live, it is only when we kill it and put it to death with your help and your power that your power and grace can live in our lives. And so help us to stretch out the diseased parts of our life and our thinking expose them and allow you to begin to show off your power in our life. And Lord, I pray you'd help some of us today that I relate to this so much that we're right where the Pharisees were at. And in that moment, the Pharisees needed healing way more than the man with the shriveled hand. So God, lift our heads up to get our focus on Jesus and help us to begin to ask the right questions, not what does the law require? What are they doing? What do they think about this? What did my denomination say? But what does love demand? And God, I just pray over this place and over these people, God, for your freedom to come up out of hearts. God, that you would set us free. We are so afraid. We thank you that religion is dead, but your grace is here. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.